patience for me. I just kept telling myself, you just have to run this pace. You don't have to pick it up. Like, just run this pace. And if he comes back, like, he's going to come back. If he's not, then he's not. And I'm like, I, I kind of knew Matt Hansen was going to catch me. Because I'm like, if he's running that, he's either going to blow up or he's going to blow by me. Like, there's just... I, and I can't respond to that because he's running 30 seconds a mile faster. Like, it, unless he catches me at mile 24 or 5, like, that you can't, like do too much with that that early in a marathon and yeah by the halfway point people were saying like you gotta go like it's now time is to go tough and i'm like and that even like from there to like mile 15 16 17 i'm like it's still too early for me like i just i I know those final eight miles from 18 on are uh, you know, where the race is kind of won or lost and just didn't want to cramp, didn't want to bonk, didn't want anything like that to happen. So I just, again, kept telling myself, like, just make it to this point. And on this course, I just noticed on the first lap that mile 19 and 24, the mile markers were right next to each other. I'm like, okay, cool. That's like a, a fun little five mile loop. There's hills. It breaks it up super easy. I'm like, make it to 19 and then let's kind of see where you're at. And before I even hit that, I could see on the bridge, I could see Christian and he was under two minutes and I was doing the math in my head. And I'm like, okay, if he's like, you know, two minutes back, um, I got to run like a little over 10 seconds a mile faster than him. And at this point, I know I'm on the edge of doing that. And I had a lot of great people like giving me time splits, um, some friends and stuff. And they were starting to say he looked bad. And I started taking decent chunks out. And it just so happened that like Matt passed me right before I passed Christian at like mile 21, even between 21 and 22 after the turnaround, um, which was perfect because I was catching somebody plus somebody was passing me. So let's Matt passed me. He like kind of hung and he he went and basically ran his pace, but it wasn't like, you know, it didn't feel 30 seconds a mile faster. So I just kind of used that to try and like take Christian out of it mentally because he was, I think, hurting pretty bad. And I just didn't want a battle again all the way to the finish. I wanted to end it there. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess. I'm here with my co-host BJ and Ben Canute. It is the early morning hours, the day after Ironman Arizona. It was Ben's debut Ironman. He ended up placing third. Just such a steady day. I can't wait to dive in. But that's basically why you're here right now, Ben, is to smack this down. And you guys, he's here with his wife and his daughter and the baby that's coming. And he's about to go to awards. And he has chosen to spend time um, with you guys. And we're just so grateful, Ben. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, of course. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. And this is uh, this is your third time on the show now. Um, yeah, I think so. I've been on a couple times mm-hmm. already. So um, yeah, happy to be back. Uh, how you feeling this morning? I'm tired and sore, but overall, um, really good. Honestly, overall, I guess uh, that's the end of my season. So I don't have to worry about the soreness or anything. It's just, um, now it's all about, you know, painting the nursery and getting stuff ready for the baby that, uh, we just kind of put everything off. Um, Ironman Arizona wasn't, you know, on my schedule at the very beginning of the year. It was not last minute, but kind of last minute. And so a lot of stuff that I'd planned to do in those, three weeks between St. George and Arizona, I'm now going to be doing, you know, for the next few weeks. So before we jump into yesterday's race, uh, which is so spectacular, 
I just want to um, go back to uh, 70.3 World Championship in St. George. And we all know you had a stellar performance there. I mean, everybody was just over the moon seeing you lead that race on the run. It was it was so unbelievable to watch. I was there, um, PJ was racing, but I was there watching you um, with Christian right on your heels. And um, I just want to talk about like takeaways or any reflections from that race that uh, perhaps helped you build into this one. Yeah, well, this year is has not been the easiest, uh, especially performance wise. Um, I just from basically May all the way up until Worlds, um, I was kind of underperforming, um, building back fitness after a bit of like a, a force break, just needing rest and some sicknesses in the family. And um, I think the biggest takeaway is that like I kept believing in myself that whole time and with my team. And, um, you know, when you don't do well, uh, you have a lot of outside noise that kind of comes in and you don't always like you ask yourself, like it made us look and reflect on what we were doing. And so we had to tweak some things, but, um, overall, like we knew our process was good and we had a lot of good, um, like training in between all of that, it just wasn't quite consistent enough. And that's kind of what I believed. Um, but it's funny, like after Worlds, you could see on Slow Twitch, like there was a thread of what is Ben Knute doing wrong? And so then <laughs> my coach and uh, my dad was reading off some of the comments on there and they all, you know, switch and they're like, well, apparently he's doing something right now. But I think it was... Um, I, I've worked with a sports psychologist before, but I started working with a mental coach like in that time between Dallas and St. George. And um, it just kind of got me back to, I want to race my race. Um, stop worrying about like the story surrounding everything. Focus, like use strategy, but just like go out there and take it. And like, I just wanted to execute and honestly just wanted to race the whole time. And um that if that put me in first or if it put me in 10th, I would have been happy just like being in it. So to be, you know, racing for first actually was amazing. Working with the mental coach, how did you, how, how did you, how were you able to just shift from, I guess I want to talk about detachment because you were just ready to like have a great race. So you're not concerned about the outcome, but you're more involved in the present moment. Yeah. Um, so uh, I mean, I think with that, like I, I kind of came into like after Dallas, but I, I had really good training going into Dallas and felt like I was poised to like, you know, I could have won or I could have gotten 20th. You never know what's going to happen in the heat. And I think the main thing there was just not digesting calories well in the heat. Um, I felt like I paced things well, like nothing was above what I was capable of and was actually running for that first two and a half laps pretty similar to what the leaders were doing. So there were a lot of good takeaways, but to, again, not finish it. Um, so we, I had to, you know, talk it out with my team a little bit, but also like I kind of flipped the switch and was like, I think the bike's going to be super important in St. George, like kind of just like a screw it attitude. And, um, when I started working with the mental coach, like honestly, like a few days later, um, he told a story too. And he's, um, his name is Seth Pepper. And he's like, he was on the Greg Bennett podcast and uh, he was a swimmer at the U of A. And he called it like, um, sorry for swearing, but he called it like the fuck it switch. And he just like 
his last race he had was the day before was terrible and he's just like screw it like screw everybody screw the race like i'm just gonna go for it and that's kind of the mentality that i took in then and it was just like i'm just gonna go out there like you know not really think oh i need to save myself a little bit for the run or this or that and it was i knew what i was capable of especially in those weeks because i was in saint george training on the course and just opened the door to like the possibility of, you know, you can keep pushing and like, don't like limit yourself. Cause I feel like when you're not fit and training is like a grind and stuff, you start to like force yourself into these zones. And I was forcing myself through like the whole summer. And when training isn't going well, or it's going well, but it's like a grind and then racing isn't going well. Um, it's not as fun. And then I just, I started having a lot more fun then too, because I would go out there and, um, I would train super hard and hit the workouts and it felt like my body was like working with me again. Um, plus I got to train with like some fun people too, like Nick Chase and Ellie Salthouse and some people that were just based out of St. George. So, um, that was, I think kind of that big turning point. And it just, I think I took a lot of comfort too in just knowing I just have to go do what I do in practice and I don't have to go above and beyond. And, you know, wherever that puts me, it puts me there because when you start worrying about like, oh, what's this person doing or what's that or um, all that stuff, it just kind of um, gets out of hand. And to kind of talk about, you know, staying in the moment, there's the analogy of like, you're driving a race car and like, you look where you want to go. If you're losing traction, don't look at the wall because then you're going to crash. And you also have a co-pilot that's a monkey and the monkey's like kind of distracting you a little. It's like your subconscious almost. It's like, he's like, you know, pointing at the wall. He's trying to distract you and you just, you can use that monkey and you can be a good co-pilot, but if you let him try and take the wheel, like then that gets out of hand. So that's where it was the fine balance of, I have to stay in the moment. Don't think about anything in the past. Don't like, like think too far ahead either, which became super important too. When, you know, I caught Christian at two miles to go and I still had 11 miles to run. (laughs) I love all of that. I think we have that monkey mind. It's like, we got to reel in these thoughts and back to the slow slow twitch thing. You know, you could script your season and you would, you would see how challenging it was for the first part of the season. You'd be like, you'd be like, I don't want to do that. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But if you knew what would be the potential at the end of the year, all of this makes sense. All of this serves a purpose. So you can't really just focus on one pinpoint moment. And I love that you continually, this is one thread I've seen in your career is like, you're you're not satisfied with something, so you immediately go seek your your team for guidance. So a, a few days after, you went to go see a, a mental training coach. So that keeps showing you to, to just one more level, one more level. You can never get satisfied. You can never get complacent. And we talked to Mickey um, up in St. George about the Norwegian train a little bit. Um, and he just, his statement was, um, we just need to find, we just need to crack the code on them. It's possible. It's totally possible. And he was just really confident about that. And I think you displayed that in St. George, like it's right there. It's right there for the taking. Yeah. And I mean, it's uh, sport has a super short memory and, um, 
like that's that's what I saw like with my performances like because honestly it was like six months seven months of me not performing well which feels like a long time but in the grand scheme of my career it was relatively short because um, I, I honestly I had a couple good races at the very beginning of the season and um, felt like a long time to me and you know everybody else kind of forgot I wasn't really a part of the conversation going into worlds um, but again like it, that kind of goes over with the Norwegians where it's like they're doing super well right now, but before them it was Jan. Then there's Alistair Brownlee, like Javier Gomez. So it's everybody, you know, there's that level the of the top guys and everybody's finding ways in their own way for how to jump and how to get to that next level. And, you know, I think um, with any of that, uh, I've always kind of hated the, you know, they can't be beat or they're unbeatable because we've seen it time and again, like you're at the top, but it, it doesn't last forever. And that's no disrespect to these guys. Cause they've been absolutely incredible. I think Christian's probably gone on the best one year uh, of any triathlete ever. Um, and, but I just, that was kind of like when I was there, we, my coach and I talked about it and I didn't expect to do it in the run. I kind of thought it would happen in the bike, but like, you got to take the race to the Norwegians cause they're so dialed in how they pace and they're so smart about what their capabilities are. If you follow them, they're going to play you every time. So I thought like, you know, if you can take them out of their comfort zone, make them change their race plan, like maybe, you know, you have a, a small chance at, at beating them on the day. Yeah, but to say that they're unbeatable, it's such a limiting mindset for everyone else to say, oh, they're unbeatable. And then you just, you just allow them to be in the driver's seat the whole time. Um, but, but like Jan, um, Javier, um, and these Norwegian, these Norwegian gentlemen, it's, it's making everybody better. Yeah. I mean, just look at, uh, you know, Ironman, half Ironman, Olympic times, like just everything that's gone. And I mean, you can look at any distance in the sport and you see young guys coming up who, um, are, you know, looking at who's the best in the sport. Um, like Hayden Wild is a great example too. He, I remember racing him for the first time in Super League and he had like a sprint finish with Mario Mola for like sixth place or something like that. And everybody was like, who is this kid? And now he's number one in the world in the ITU stuff. So, um, there's always going to be, you know, that young generation who's coming up and believing that they can be number one and doing the work to try and, and get there. And I think that's the beautiful thing about sport is that the people who, you know, dream big and work hard, like that's what keeps elevating it. And that's why we're seeing, you know, all of these super fast times and, you know, bike course records being broken, people running, you know, insane marathon times at the end of, uh, the, the Ironman. And yeah, it's, I think it's really cool. And I think the depth is just, you know, really getting to a point where any race you go to is exciting to watch. And that's just super good for the sport of triathlon to have that stuff televised to make it exciting until the end. Um, yeah, just it's it makes it for really good like spectator wise. Yeah, so much is so much is changing. So much is being elevated within the sport. One of the reasons why I love always always love talking with you is because you always bring in that mind piece, and and that's such an essential piece for your training. And I love this uh, this analogy uh, or metaphor about the race car driver and the monkey because the fact is is that the monkey's always 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 going to be there 
always going to be there. Always like, go to slow twitch. Just see what they're saying. You know, like, oh, wait, that thing that your dad said about what they were saying on slow, like, maybe that is something. Maybe you are doing that wrong. Um, and it's not about that monkey going away because it's going nowhere. And I think a lot of times people are like, oh, I just need to stop thinking this way or stop these thoughts. And it's not about stopping the thoughts. It's about changing your relationship to those thoughts, like putting yourself in the driver's seat and saying like, okay, this monkey's going to be here, never going to get the keys, never going to drive this car. Yeah. And I found it interesting with my mental coach, um, like, you know, talking with him, like sometimes like you watch a race result or something and, um, I'm always super happy for my competitors for when they do well. But, you know, sometimes there's maybe that little feeling of like um, maybe some FOMO or like even if it's jealousy or envy of like, hey, I feel like I can do that. He's like, you know, embrace that feeling, like feel it and then use it like I'm, he's all about like, you know, looking the emotions and stuff in the eye, feeling it and then use it in a positive light. Like, don't make it a negative. Like, don't be super hard on yourself. Like, if that's like what you're feeling, like there's probably a reason why it resonates with you or something like that. So that was something because yeah, everybody like we all know having a positive mindset is good, but it's impossible to be positive 24 seven. So um, and that's kind of the Michael Jordan mentality where he was like he would create those situations that would just like make him more competitive. And um, yeah, I, I kind of liked that. I think your, your wife would, would know this too, being a yogi is um, the yogis say, use everything to your advantage. Everything. Like your, your trials didn't come here to punish you. They came here to, to wake you up and use everything to your advantage. And so I always think about that. Like when, if, if there's FOMO or I'm working with an athlete who's like, you know, injured and, you know, or not performing, it's like, use all of that to strengthen your desire. Yeah. And, um, I mean, any challenging section you go through and, uh, I just think it makes it, it makes the highs that much better because um, you know it's you could have really challenging years, couple years, but um, I always think if you just keep working hard and showing up, like you're you're going to get through it, and um, you're still gonna probably doubt yourself. Like I mean, before seventy point three worlds, I think my biggest fear was my body letting me down because that's what had been happening, what it felt like it was happening the entire year, and I mean even in the Ironman this past weekend. I'm like, I, I don't really know. I've never done an Ironman before. I have these zones that I want to hit. And if I hit them, I don't know if I'm going to blow up or not. Like I can go by feel and stuff, but I don't know what miles, you know, 21 to 26 of a marathon feel like. So, um, it's like kind of, you know, accepting that that could be an outcome of like, you know, walking or something like that, but also just, you know, still having that belief that, okay, no, like I've, I've done this, like I know what I can do and you just have to, to keep going. Yeah. Cause like the monkey, the unknown is never going away either. Like, so we need to, we need to be able to step into that unknown and, um, and embrace it. Like you just don't, you could have walked yesterday, you could have won yesterday, or you could have just had that super sweet, steady line that you had all day yesterday. It was so beautiful. Yeah. And there was, really no point in worrying about the unknown because it's, you can't change it. So that's where it's like refocus. And, you know, um, I also found like I, the mental side is fascinating and it's like you talk to, you know, a sports psychologist, a mental coach, everybody kind of has a similar vein of thought, but it's all focusing on different things. And, um, for ours, like he, he asked a lot of his athletes, like, how are you going to be confident? 
And a lot of people are like, or what happens if you win a world championship? They're going to be like, well, I'm going to be confident. And they're like, okay, well, yeah, but how, like what's changed? Like basically, okay, so you just won, but how are you going to win? And it's doing all of the small little things and it's like building that momentum. So I just kept trying to focus, but before Worlds, before the Ironman, just do all of the little things. And there's some, he used the example of the, there was a, a naval, high-ranking naval officer or something. And he's like, you know, it's the day is all about building momentum. That's why you make your bed the first thing you do when you wake up. And then you brush your teeth. And it's just all those little things. And you accomplish things. And it it helps you feel better. And you can get work done throughout the day. And I tried to take that. It takes your mind off of, like, the nervousness or the unknown before the race. Just do all of those. And if you've done everything you can, then whatever happens, happens. And um, especially in Ironman, like... I, I know too, like anything can happen. I could have, you know, been thrown up on the side of the road or anything like that. So um, that's that's just, yeah, kind of distracting yourself and just trying to, you know, get towards, you know, each mile marker. Yeah, it's just being being awake to, to know like, okay, pivot, pivot, refocus, refocus. Um, but let's get into yesterday. Well, yeah, yeah, I want to get into yesterday because I don't even, I saw you just once, but I, I don't even know how the race unfolded. I see the... The stats and stuff, <clears throat> but back just to that point, you can read all you want about confidence, but if you don't actually experience it, right? I mean, we can read a book, we can read a blog, we can watch a video on it, but if you're not practicing being present and in, in, <clears throat> in those moments when you're when you need to build the confidence, then how are you ever going to experience it? So yeah, the experience is everything. So taking action on on those things is so important. So you took action yesterday for sure. Um, <clears throat> I saw you in the morning for the special needs bags and uh, you were talking about the unknown. You're like, I don't know what's going to happen. But I also asked you about patience. So how did patience play in your day yesterday? Yeah, you know, I feel like it was it was back and forth because there was a lot of... Um, this, the way the race unfolded, it was not towards patience at all. Um, so, I mean about the like the race itself was just kind of odd because I was staying at my house and it was like I had to flip the switch in the morning of like hey I'm at a race cuz I went to sleep in my own bed like I could watch TV at night like it was kind of weird to do that it made it like feel really low key which is also pretty great for the first ironman you don't need any extra pressure uh, of um racing that but to me um everybody always says like ironman at first is like it's easy until it isn't. And that's kind of what I was trying to do all day. But it's that fine line. Because if you go too easy, then you're not really racing and you kind of get stuck in the easy. And um, there was a really good swimmer, Andrew, um, who was here and I knew he swam really well at Wales. And um, I just let him take the lead. And it actually felt like we were going a pretty decent clip. Like it didn't feel like we were just like relaxing. So it felt, um, maybe a little bit harder than I would have thought an Ironman swim would feel. Um, but I also feel with the nature of the course, <clears throat> he had to keep like correcting because it's that, like, it's not a straight line and it doesn't follow like the lake almost like edge. It like cuts into it. So you're like going diagonal, um, to all of the like bridges that you might sight off of or anything like that. And um, like I would take like six strokes and then sight again to him and he'd be like corrected to the left or to the right or something. And so it was kind of hard to hold his feet. Um, but the swim went by 
relatively quickly because I always feel like a half Ironman swim is a little long and the Ironman is obviously <laughs> two times as long. But um, yeah, that was good. But then the bike, um, so he gats me a little bit and I wasn't really patient because I wanted to get up to him because he rode really well at Wales. And so I rode a little too hard probably at the beginning just knowing that I was to catch him so that I could relax then. And we did, like I did, was able to relax um, behind him. Like I think I caught him like mile 10-ish or something. It was uh, right before the Beeline Highway, so in that 8 to 10 area. And um, not too long after that, Joe Skipper and Christian Hogenhog caught us before the turnaround. And Joe was like, okay, let's like take five minute pulls. Just we'll share the work. And um, we had a gap, I think, on like Sam Long and Matt Hansen and all of that. So I was cool with that. Um, I obviously had ridden a bit higher and then I was well below kind of sitting behind Andrew of what I wanted to hold. And I'm like, I'll follow people all day today. Like that's, that's perfect. That's how I did my first half. Like this is great. And so I, at the turnaround, led around and then tried to drop to the very back and Andrew went to the front and then Joe followed him and I waved Christian through and this is like mile 19. So super fast downhill and Christian probably threw down 400 plus Watts and just took off. And then Joe responded and then I'm like, okay, well, if Joe's responding, I have to respond. And so I hammered to try and catch him and it looked like, Christian and Joe were 10 seconds apart. And then I was like 10 seconds apart from Joe. And then I think we dropped Andrew at that point. And basically from mile 20 on, then I was like, okay, I guess I'm solo. Cause I'm not going to ride, you know, 350 watts to try and catch Joe and then Christian and then like override this early into the Ironman. Like, I'm just like, you know, maybe at a different point, like once I knew what I was capable of, but I'm like, I've just heard so many horror stories about overriding and all of that. And, um, I was actually like, at least so far there, like, um, my glucose, like my super sapiens was connected to my bike computer. So I could actually tell like, Oh, everything is pretty good right now. And then I just settled into my own Watts. And that's when I think I was more patient. Um, and it was a little hard, like that first half of the second loop, there were a lot of age groupers on the course. So I had to kind of be even more patient there. Just, it was kind of surgy through Rio Salado, just with how narrow it got. But, um, I knew that mile 84 was probably the point where I could either gap the guys behind me or catch the guys in front of me or limit the damage the most because it was into the wind uphill toward the end of the bike and um, everything felt really good um, and my stomach was handling the nutrition great um, my power was good on the bike and my legs felt <clears throat> you know as fresh as they could during an Ironman and my spirits were good at that point, especially after making it halfway, the road opened up and then I'm like, okay, like made it through halfway. Like uh, that's, that's a big milestone. And then it's like all downhill. And I'm like, so that's like, I got one more time to go up and then it's basically done because you get pushed all the way back in. Um, I think the only thing that was like sore is just my back from, I think early on from pushing and then the wind and holding arrow for that long. Um, so I had to like kind of play games and see how long I could hold arrow and then time my maybe sitting up to get around a group of people or, um, around corners and just stretch it out. Um, and talking to the guys, it seems like that was, you know, a lot. Cause we had some pretty crazy crosswinds there too, that like, I felt like I was sideways a bit. Um, and yeah, looking at that weather, um, in the morning, 
I thought it was going to be like mild to maybe moderate winds. And it ended up being like moderate, like to high winds, it felt like. Um, but yeah, I was able to push at mile 84 all the way to the top of the hill um, and kind of got excited about that. Saw the gap was like four minutes to Christian and Joe, which, you know, is within reach in an Ironman and figured they might have maybe five, six minutes if I just relaxed on the way in and saw that I had opened up more of a gap on Sam Long behind. And then the rest of the guys, I couldn't tell because it was just kind of blending into everybody. Um, and got to the tent. My transitions were very patient, I think, because it was very slow. Um, but that first six miles of the run was this balance of, you know, trying to get my back to just feel like it would loosen up and running easy enough that I had enough to stay steady or maybe pick it up a little bit toward the end. And, um, yeah, everybody was telling me like, you know, 240 pace or under is going to feel super easy at the beginning. And it felt cruisy, but it also like, wasn't like easy. And so I just was really trying to fuel the whole time. And I knew that like Joe and Christian were keeping the gap to me. And then I was starting to get times that like Matt Hansen, I heard he was 10 minutes. And then somebody said he was like seven, like a few miles later. I'm like, that's wrong. That can't be right. Or like I, I did like a time of him too. Somebody said 10 and then it was eight. I'm like, well, somebody maybe just mistimed a little bit or there was a farther back split. Um, but then I kept getting it and I'm like, I like I was because when he was 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, if you just run a 245, which I felt like I was capable of, he has to run 235 to catch you over the marathon. I'm like, that's really hard. Like Matt Hansen is an incredible runner, but like running faster than 235, like that was like Gustav and Christian type stuff. And then he kept doing it. I'm like, he's running like five. I, I went out at 240 pace and he's running like five forties right now, like, and closing on me. I'm like, what is going on? And I was just hoping that Joe and Christian, one of them would blow and one of them overran to try and go for the win. Um, and it wasn't until mile, I want to say, um, at least 10 where I kind of got like, I pulled back like maybe 10 seconds or something. It was on the far side of the course and somebody was kind of given splits. But it's it's funny when you're in a race too, because splits are so all over the place. I heard everything from five and a half to four minutes. And when it would come down, some people are like, you're two minutes. And then it'd be like three and a half. I'm like, what? How, what is the surging going on here? Um, but I, and that like patience for me, I just kept telling myself, you just have to run this pace. You don't have to pick it up. Like just run this pace. And if he comes back, like he's going to come back. If he's not, then he's not. And I'm like, I, I kind of knew Matt Hansen was going to catch me. Cause I'm like, if he's running that, he's either going to blow up or he's going to blow by me. Like there's just, I, and I can't respond to that because he's running 30 seconds a mile faster. Like, unless he catches me at mile 24 or five, like that you can't like do too much with that, that early in a marathon. And yeah, by the halfway point, people were saying like, you gotta go, like it's now time is to go tough. And I'm like, and that even like from there to like mile 15, 16, 17, I'm like, it's still too early for me. Like I just, I, I know those final eight miles from 18 on are, uh, you know, where the race is kind of won or lost and just didn't want to cramp, didn't want to bonk, didn't want anything like that to happen. So I just, again, kept telling myself, like, just make it to this point. And 
on this course, I just noticed on the first lap that mile 19 and 24, the mile markers were right next to each other. I'm like, okay, cool. That's like a, a fun little five mile loop. There's hills. It breaks it up super easy. I'm like, make it to 19 and then let's kind of see where you're at. And as like before I even hit that, I could see on the bridge, I could see Christian and he was under two minutes and I was doing the math in my head. And I'm like, okay, if he's like, you know, two minutes back, um, I got to run like a little over 10 seconds a mile faster than him. And at this point, I know I'm on the edge of doing that. And, um, I had a lot of great people like giving me time splits, um, some friends and stuff. And they were starting to say he looked bad. And I started taking decent chunks out. And it just so happened that like Matt passed me right before I passed Christian at like mile 21, uh, even between 21 and 22 after the turnaround, um, which was perfect because that gave me like, you know, I was catching somebody plus somebody was passing me. So let's Matt passed me he like kind of hung and he, he went and basically ran his pace, but it wasn't like, you know, it didn't feel 30 seconds a mile faster. So I just kind of used that to try and like take Christian out of it mentally. Cause he was, I think hurting pretty bad. And, um, I just didn't want a battle again, all the way to the finish. <laughs> I wanted to end it there. Um, and I actually, I feel like I really kind of like running uphills, especially after St. George and kept the gap relatively close to Matt, but I knew he was probably gone. I was just trying to ask people like, where's Christian. And it's funny, like, um, Doug Freeman. Um, I don't know if you guys know him. He was uh, a professional triathlete lives in Tucson. Um, I would train with him every so often, uh, when I lived there, like going to college and kind of like, you know, soft spoken guy. He was an alternate to the Olympics, like had a battle with Andy Potts for an Olympic spot. So a uh, really talented guy, but he's pretty mellow. And, um, I just saw him uh, coming down the downhill, feeling like my quads were going to like explode. And I'm just asking, like, he's, he's telling me good. They're like telling me to like try and go and catch Matt Hansen. I'm like, okay guys, like, <laughs> all right. Um, but then I'm like, where's Christian? He's like, he looks terrible. Like just keep going. So, um, it was cool to see some of that. And, um, yeah, I just like, people ask me like where it started to like hurt and everything. And I do think like mile 18 was like a big mile marker to get to. But the more I like remember, I feel like miles 24 to 26. Like I knew that I pretty much had it, but that's a long two miles. Like that's, there's a lot of hard miles before that. But those two miles, like I was talking with my coach and stuff and they're like, oh yeah, you're there. So it feels like you're close. Like you get a little bit of a lift and I maybe did a little bit, but I was like, I like sometimes like in St. George and stuff, like I was feeding off the crowd or I was able to like kind of interact a little bit. I didn't want to interact much at all. Like some people were yelling at me, they were congratulating me and stuff. And I was just like eyes forward. Like it felt like I was running eight minute pace and I was holding like somewhat steady, but yeah, that was, and that's kind of, I feel like a hard two miles. Cause you like, you get the bridge and you kind of run downhill, but then you take a left and you still have like a mile and a half to go to the finish all the way down and twist up. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, uh, I just kind of, I, the way that I was taking everything in, I was patient but I was kind of like right at that edge and I just was able to kind of feel it out a little bit. Um, and maybe if I was solo, uh, like I was solo for probably 90 some miles, a hundred miles of that race, like from mile 20 until mile 20 of the run, um, which, you know, was kind of crazy 
because I thought I'd have more people to kind of be around. But um, pretty proud of that. And just, I, I think I just kind of got it right with going by feel a little and just trusting in what I was capable of. Um, and then just kind of gritting through some of those last miles. Well, back to doing the little things, right? You probably okay. did the, you didn't probably, you did do the little things really well. And it, this is what it, this is what it can present. So you put yourself in the opportunity to be there prepared for the potential of what the unknown will, will give you. And today, and yesterday it was presented to you and to be in third, what you third place and you switch positions. So you basically held third, like pretty steady. That took, um, that took patience. That took, um, an ability to uh, allow Matt to go ahead. Cause Matt's a pretty talented runner. Right. And it's not that you aren't, but to see Matt just fly by, but then um, shift to like, okay, well, I just need to keep my pace going. I need to go in within and just stay right here and hold this. Um, but we were looking at your paces. Your, your run was 245 and 616 pace. St. George, you did 529 pace. Like there isn't a big difference. It may seem like 45 seconds is big, but there's not a really, that's fast. That is pretty solid thanks um yeah the saint george course is super like it's it's tough it was a deceivingly hard course because um they took out the top section this year that you know everybody dreads but the golf course was not fast necessarily like it was a steep hill up steep hill down and then the cart path and stuff in the grass was definitely pretty slow but that had such a like a disparity in paces like the way up you might be running like 5.20, or something like that. You probably hit, you know, six minute as you go up the steep hill and then you just fly downhill. Like you're running close to five minute pace. And when Christian went, we were sub five minute pace on that. So there's that um, just, you know, leg speed and more of a, uh, not anaerobic, but heavier breathing and all of that. Whereas this, it's like, yeah, like six minute pace, just that, that 40 seconds doesn't sound like a lot, but it does like when you go out and do it in a training run too, you're like, oh man, six minute pace. Like, is this going to be fast enough? Like I've, I could run 240. And yeah, I really felt like, you know, with how I ran in St. George, um, the run workouts I've done and kind of just like testing out, you know, what my pace would be leading in. Um, I felt like, you know, depending on how the bike went, that 240, 245 was, was within reach. And, um, I kind of went out that first half just, yeah, right, right there feeling like really steady. And it was probably, you know, in that last six miles that you hit some uphills, your legs start to get heavy and, um, I forget who I was talking to. It might've been Jim, but he was saying some people is like, whether it was on the bike or the run, it was like, you know, I, I never picked it up. It's I just stayed steady and that's what got a lot of people. And so I just tried to keep that. Cause honestly I didn't pick it up to catch Christian. I just trusted that my pace would be good enough and that he was faltering. And then once he got extra close, then it was just, you know, about trying to like seal the deal and, and using some of that energy to maybe um, go a little bit faster there. Yeah. You were like a metronome yesterday and then there was movement like, all around you. And, um, and then that monkey that we talked about earlier is basically all the people go at eight minutes, two minutes, you're this, you're that. <clears throat> and just staying focused. You know, 
How heavily does this mindset work do? How does that play into your race day? Like, are you obviously residual, right? Like just from the training, the languaging, the talking with the mental coach, but utilizing tools or using techniques out there and, and how heavily is that weighing into your game? Yeah, you know, an Ironman is so long. There's so much time to think. Like, I think I thought about a little bit of everything out there. But it's funny because by the time you hit the marathon, that second half of the marathon, I feel like your mind almost starts to go blank a little bit and you have to start reminding yourself. And... um that's, I kind of just wanted to remind myself all day, like to try and be present because, you know, you zone out for too long. And on a course like this, that does get crowded, like then it could be dangerous too. Like, and you just want to stay on top of everything and on nutrition. So, uh, thankfully it's like an aid station comes every six minutes basically. So you have time to do that. I was trying to calculate out time gaps and stuff. And it's amazing how hard math is when you're in the middle of the bike or the run, just like your brain starts to kind of go dumb a little bit and it's it's hard to think. Um, So I just, yeah, I just tried to really kind of keep that rhythm. And um, I've always liked this sort of like training or racing where it's just strong and steady. And um, it's always stuff that I've responded well to as well, um, where you can just kind of, you know, hit that steady pace and then maybe turn the screws like a little bit as you go. And, um, that's kind of what yesterday was about is just finding that strong, steady pace and trying to maintain it. And then once you get to a certain point in the swim, bike or run, then you can kind of push it here or there. So that was kind of the game is like, you know, break it up, you know, get through certain parts of the course. And I think, that sort of stuff, like the nutrition and all of that helps break it up and keep you kind of more present than, you know, if you were just going out and maybe running or something like that. Yeah. Like taking it with, uh, with little chunks. So, um, it was funny you said about transitions, like your transition was long, but I was back here in the hotel, kind of back and forth. And I was listening to the broadcast that I had going on. They were saying, um, how quick your transitions were. You're such a pro at transitions. And you, you think that there, that that was long yesterday. So, um, so your times for the day, just swim, bike, run, not transitions was uh 47, 34 swim, 413, 12 bike and a 245, 25 run. And it sounds like those are right on point with what you were thinking like you you were capable of. Yeah, I thought I could swim 46, 47 minutes. And I actually think the wind was kicking up enough mm-hmm. that it was a little bit choppy out there. The bike was a little slower. I thought I could be 405, 410, um, depending on the wind. But again, I think the wind was, you know, a bigger factor. And um, I, it's also hard to account for if you, you know, hit a big pack of, of people on the bike and navigating around. But I hit the pretty much the exact power that I wanted to there. So, you know, time you know, only matters so much. And then running as well. I did a lot of, you know, pace and power kind of watching that and making sure that I didn't overextend myself early. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I would have liked, you know, 240, but everybody would have liked a little bit faster. So the 245, yeah, I'm super happy with. And, um, overall, I think I just learned a lot. And like I said before, it was, um, relatively last minute and we basically used 70.3 training and did you know a little bit of Ironman training in there specifically for this so um yeah I'm I'm really happy with like how it turned out and again that I was able to uh follow up St. George like get another result because that's 
you know, another thing is like, can I do that again? And like, yes, I can. And just be able to race like the whole day to at least feel like I was getting the most out of myself. And, um, to walk away with third and a Kona slot too was like massive. And, um, I was thinking a lot and tried not to, but like, I knew Matt was catching me. Christian was strong. And I'm like, I, this is a really good race right now, but it's going to hurt a little bit if I get fourth and miss out on a Kona slot. So I feel for Christian too, because that's a tough place to be in, to to be in that slot all day. And then in the last, you know, four miles to watch it run away from you. Because that's, that's pretty much where I thought I could end up, you know, if things didn't go my way. Yeah, this is so exciting. You're going to be in Kona next year. Yeah, I know. So (laughs) it is. It's exciting. I think I need a few more days to let my body to forget like the pain of the race a little bit. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's obviously like a huge race. Um, it, It was cool to do, you know, my first Ironman after, you know, watching the race for so long, watching my parents do it. Uh, I thought it was super cool. It was Mike Riley's last race um, for him announcing. So got to cross the finish line with him announcing. And yeah, it's just, uh, I've been waiting. And I think other people have, I've been being asked if I'm going to do an Ironman since I was like 18. (laughs) Like, (laughs) when are you moving up to Ironman? So this just seemed like kind of the perfect time to do it. And to have the freedom of already being qualified for Kona, this year so that I can race kind of whatever I want next year and potentially, you know, do a very specific Kona block of training. Um, that's huge because the race schedule is only getting busier and busier. So, um, that's, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what my schedule looks like for next year. Yeah. And just, you know, tough season at the beginning of the season, the, you, you know, your, your performances are not where you want them to be. And then just this amazing finish second in St. George third yesterday, baby on the way, you're going to start painting the nursery. Um, and Briella had her first race. Yeah, she did. So we call it last year, um, or maybe, yeah, I think it was last year we did like a turkey trot, but we pushed her. So this was her first running race and she was excited to do it in standing on the start line. We were like at the front off to the side and, um, she was ready to go and I had to keep telling her to come back and they, cause they put us there a little early. Um, but once they said go and everybody started running, she freaked out a little bit. She, <laughs> she got a little overwhelmed. So we waited a little. I carried her, but I, I didn't force her, but I coaxed her across the finish line. Um, and yeah, I told her, you'll thank me for having you cross the finish line um, later on, even if you don't like it right now. So it was fun. And she had a lot of fun afterwards. She was playing with bubbles, cheering people on, dancing. So yeah, she, uh, it was a lot of fun to be able to do that with her. And then I led the bike for the Iron Kids race and I knew those kids would go out fast, but like, man, some of them just were like four minute mile pace right out, right out of the gun. Had to put down some power on the bike. (laughs) I saw you actually, we were riding out in an easy ride. You came around. There were some kids that were hauling. They, 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 they put it on. Those are like the yeah. Bank yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were awesome. Like for the half mile, they just like flew. And then even for the mile, they were like sub six or something like wow. that. Like on a course that I don't think was super fast. So yeah, it was, it was good. Um, ben, we want to, we want to let you get over to awards. So thank you so much for being here. And, um, 
just congratulations on just an epic career, uh, a race, um, and so giving of your time and an insight into um, the the mental piece, but also you know how you how you work through challenges yourself and and sharing that with others, and to have such an amazing team around you to support you, um, and for the, for a long period of time, for a long period of time, you've had these. Um, this support system. So um, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next year. I'm assuming you'll go do a, a block in Kona, I would think, before. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, I haven't thought that much about it next year yet. Um, the start, like the different races are starting to come out and um, we'll kind of see how everything stacks up. But yeah, it'd be great to to go out there and do a, a block to see what it's like and to see what the weather's like and everything like that. But um yeah, we'll see. We got, I got two babies now, so we'll have to uh, try and get the grandparents to come along and everything like that for some built-in babysitters. But um, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun next year, and just um, being able to end like this is is really awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to see you double down on this dad strength because I think it's real. Is it real? <laughs> yeah, I think it's real. So it's um yeah, it's honestly it's it's just amazing to be able to experience uh everything for the first time with Briella and I can't wait for my son to be born and for all of that fun as well. So it's been an exciting journey and um yeah, I think dad strength is real for the middle of the year. Maybe I was uh, questioning things a little bit, but no, I think it, it's come back in, in full force. So cool. Well, thank you so much. Um, go down to Ironman Village and get your award and your Kona spot. Can't wait to see you in Kona next year. And again, thank you so much for giving your time to this community. I know they love you. They love when you're on the show and certainly um, we love to spend time with you and we we always kind of like end up next to a, in a lane next to each other at the pool when you're in town and things like that. So we'll be looking forward to, to seeing you around. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was fun. 